In the Old Covenant, God spoke through prophets. Of course, the primary prophet would have been who? Moses. And uh, the lawgiver the law uh, spoke by prophets, but all the other prophets, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets in the Old Covenant. The vast majority of people did not know God very in an intimate way, but God made his will known through prophets. But in the New Covenant, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. See, it's very important to draw that distinction. Uh, and then it goes on to say, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory. Everybody say that. Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory. Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Here, again, the writers of Hebrews is pointing out the fact, if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. Jesus shows us Christ is the exact representation of the Father's nature. Shows us exactly what God is like. Now, this is important stuff. You know, I grew up with a father who was overly critical of me. He, uh, I didn't, you know, I just couldn't do anything right. Uh, if I mowed the grass this direction, it should have been mowed that direction. If I mowed on Tuesday, it should have been done Monday. You know, just one thing after another like that. All my, it created resentment in me, and after a while, I just quit trying to please him, you know. And, uh, and uh, I brought that relationship with my earthly father into my relationship with God. It's very common for people to do that. And as a result of that, the Lord had to early on deal with me, first of all, to forgive my dad, and then that he was very different than my father was. And uh, in fact, you know what I think? I think God is the easiest person in the world to please. He's very easy to please because of what Jesus has done. People are a lot harder to please than God is. And when you get that revelation, you know, it begins to change things for you. (laughs) And in uh, any case, uh, when people bring that kind of thing, maybe their earthly father was imperfect. Every earthly father is. Maybe they, uh, maybe he was non-existent. Maybe he just wasn't there. So they don't have clarity about what God the Father is like. Well, this particular revelation that Christ reveals the Father changes that for them. When they begin to focus on that God is like Jesus, then things begin to change in their understanding of what God the Father is. We've seen people kind of rebuild their lives based on this particular truth. There are a lot of people in the body of Christ that just really don't have a foundation for faith because of such a rotten relationship with their earthly father. And as a result of that, they have difficulties with faith. And, uh, but when they begin to see this truth that God, their father, is like the Son of God, then things begin to change for them. Jesus uh, was transfigured, Mark chapter 9. Jesus was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So here's the scenario so far. Here's Jesus. He becomes white with light, and then Moses and Elijah appear. Now, sometimes when you see drawings of this, you see all three of them white with light. But it says, actually, that Jesus was the one white with light, and then Moses and Elijah appeared. And they were talking with Jesus, and Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it says, for he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Have you noticed that some people talk when they're nervous? Now, Peter is one of those folks. In fact, I, I read it very calmly, but I suspect he was, at this point, he was having a hallelujah breakdown. 
and uh, he was uh, probably very nervous and probably stuttering. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elisha. (laughs) You know, caught up in the the glory of this moment. And you remember when Jesus uh, was baptized, uh, the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove, and the Father said something. Remember what he said? You are my beloved son. You are my beloved son, right? Speaking to Jesus. I want you to notice that it doesn't say you. The Father speaks now in this circumstance. Then a cloud formed overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now here was what's happened is Peter has said something. He said, Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Making an equality between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And the father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. See, part of the problem has been in the American church, and perhaps worldwide this is somewhat of a problem, is that the church tends to try to mix covenants. We try to pull things out of the old covenant and mix them together with the new covenant. When the new covenant is full of grace, the old covenant is full of law. You know, and many people are confused about this. In fact, the church has had a historical confusion about, you know, just exactly what the relationship between these two covenants. But God in the Old Testament said that he would make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the old. And he goes on in that particular promise and says that they will all know me from least to greatest. See, in the old covenant, most people didn't know God. You know, in fact, they knew him through prophets. In the New Covenant, we can all know God, have an intimate relationship. In the Old Covenant, there were special anointed ones, just a few, just a handful in comparison to the numbers of people that knew God, had a relationship with him, but the average person didn't know God except through these people. In the New Covenant, they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. All of us can be anointed ones before the Lord. In fact, the Scripture says, you know, when you talk about anointing, by the way, the Scripture says you already have it. Did you know that? The New Testament tells you that you already have the anointing. See, some of you are trying to get it. And the scripture says you already have it. It's a question of using it. And see, some of you are waiting for a feeling. You know, you know uh, the focus shouldn't be on you and what you feel. The focus should be on Jesus. You might th- do you think that there might be a relationship between the anointing and the anointed one? In the New Testament, the word Christ means the anointed one. It's there 500 times, more than 500 times. You know how many times the New Testament speaks of the anointing? Twice. What do you think the emphasis is? Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want to be anointed or you want to have the anointed one working through you? Turn to somebody and say, you've got a big Jesus inside you. He's there whether you feel him or not. Talking about faith now. You need to get off the roller coaster of feelings. This, these things are done by faith in Christ. You have a big Jesus right now. And he is a healer. Whether, he's, whether you've experienced that or not, he is already a healer, or has always been a healer, and he can heal through you right now. These signs will follow those that believe. Shake your head up and down. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you've got a big Jesus. <laughs> I want to move on. 
What do the disciples know? See, the disciples know some, knew something by observation. They saw Jesus healing the sick. That's how they knew the will of the Father. They knew that Jesus healed all who came to him. He didn't heal all. There were people in Israel who didn't get healed. There were Pharisees in the multitudes that were watching him, were critics, Herodians, uh, you know, there was those who were in opposition to him that were watching him. They probably had healing needs as well. They didn't get healed. He healed all who came to him. That's the key, the key phrase here. For instance, Matthew chapter 8, 16, And when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the word, spirits with the word and healed all who were ill in this circumstance that came to him in that circumstance. Matthew chapter 12, verse 15, Many followed him, and he healed them all. Who was he healing? The ones following him. The ones following him. He healed all those who were following him. Luke chapter 6, 19, All the multitude were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him, and healing them all. In the case, the all is descriptive of the people who were trying to just touch him in this circumstance. Those who were coming were the ones who received healing. Everybody say, you need to come. See, we need to help people come to Jesus to receive healing. That's the issue here. Everyone who came in the multitudes to receive something from him, they were able to receive on that basis. And, of course, we see the disciples also doing the same sort of thing. So going to chapter, uh, chapter 3 of this section here. Now, how do we get people to come to Jesus? See, this is a very important aspect of things. Over the years, I have had awesome opportunities to minister in these groups called healing rooms. Everybody know about healing rooms? Now, healing rooms are, uh, they're good. They're, uh, in general, I would say they're pretty good. Uh, but they tend to be as good as the person leading them. And what I have discovered over the years is that we are able to help these healing rooms become more effective. I think in most of the places I've been able to go, if I can change their focus a little bit from prayer to the gospel. Because many of these healing rooms, they think that prayer is what gets the job done. But in the New Testament, we don't see Jesus praying for the sick. We see in the context of him preaching the gospel to the multitudes, people responded to that, and that's how they got healed. So this is... Let me give you a little, uh, little uh, um, illustration of this. Back a few years ago, I was invited to uh, drive across town, and I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and drove across town to, to pray for a woman who was dying of liver cancer. I believe it was liver cancer. And she was a middle-aged lady, uh, actually uh, not middle-aged. She was in mid-30s. She was in mid-30s, and so this was a kind of unexpected her pastor called me and said, would you consider going pray with her? She's off, they're about to take her off life support. They, she's, she's dying. Uh, my wife tells me, by the way, when someone's kidneys stop functioning, that typically they pass within 72 hours. And this is what happened with this woman. So I got over there with two of my friends. I stood over this woman and shared the good news, just quietly, what Jesus had done for her. I told her, I, I spoke over her about the cross, what the cross means in this circumstance, that Jesus bore her pain, carried her sorrows by his stripes his heel, that I believed it to be God's will for her to receive healing. Now, she's unconscious. Is she hearing this? Well, we could say that, but we're not entirely sure that she is consciously. She's conscious of it. We know people's spirits are still alive, and so potentially it has an effect. However, I don't always do it just for that reason. Because if I may be having a bad day, I have bad days too, just like everybody else. Maybe it's been a, a difficult week. Maybe there's been trials, difficulties. Maybe somebody has unfairly criticized me. You know, maybe I'm, 
emotionally concerned about one of my children or something. My focus is not really uh, victorious. I have those weeks too, okay? I'm not as victorious as I am normally, and so I'm not really uh, where I need to be spiritually. And I walk into this room, and if I pray for this woman in my own spiritual condition, the way I'm praying for her, I'm probably not going to get much happening. Because then in my own thought process, it might be about me. But I can change the chemistry. Everybody say chemistry. I can change the chemistry in that room, in myself, and potentially in the person I'm praying for, if I take enough time to bring the good news to the circumstance. So I share with, uh, speak over her about what Jesus has done, you know, and I spend a few moments doing that. And when I'm done, when I pray... It's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. And so I, uh, something begins to happen in that circumstance. Well, let me tell you, the end of the story was is that uh, I prayed for her. During the night, her kidneys started functioning again. Uh, she was conscious by morning. Uh, they checked her for cancer later in the week, and she had no cancer. Yeah. Now, I'm convinced, I'm convinced if I had not made it about Jesus, nothing would have happened in that circumstance. And see, these two men with me. See, they could have thought it was about me too. See, that was Roger, you know, man of faith and power. Yeah, right. You know, I, you know Roger feels that way sometimes, but most of the time he doesn't feel that way, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but I know that if I take time to bring the word about Jesus, then I even affect them. See, I create the right atmosphere in the circumstance. So when, it, when healing occurs, it's not based on me. It's based on the foundation of Christ, what he's done for us. Very important just to, for us to take time to do this. And when you get into a hospital room, uh, typically uh, if you're not used to doing it, you know, you can be nervous, you know, feel like uh, you're, you're kind of on somebody else's turf. You know, the nurses and doctors are coming back and forth. And what, so this is what I recommend that you do. You get in there, take a few minutes to become comfortable. If the person is conscious and you can talk to them, then, you know, have, have a chat with them, just a friendly chat with them to get relaxed so they can get relaxed as well. And then change the subject to, in this kind of way, say, you know, the reason I've come here is I, I want to pray for you, but I want to pray for you after, I, after we talk about why I believe that, you'll, that you can receive healing and bring the good news to them about what Jesus has done. Just spend a few minutes. It doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't, you don't have to be eloquent. Just talk to them that Jesus, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and their sicknesses, that if they had been in the multitudes 2,000 years ago, that they would have received healing. You can even use a little technique that we often use successfully to help people simplify uh, their thought process on this. You can say something like this. We call it the time machine. If you were able to get into a time machine and go back 2,000 years and be in one of those healing meetings where Jesus was healing everyone, wouldn't he heal you? And the answer, obviously, is yes. Well, we don't have a time machine, obviously, but we don't have to have a time machine because Jesus has come forward 2,000 years. And he is the same yesterday, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in those healing meetings, today, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and yes, forever. It's a pretty simple technique to help people get to a place where they can say, yes, I believe that God wishes me to be well. Instead of all this complexity that people have in their heads where they're trying to fulfill righteousness, they're trying to cross every T and dot every I, 
They are aware of their own sins and sicknesses. Uh, they're aware of their own uh, sins. They're aware of uh, potentially that they may actually not uh, may have actually created their own problem. A lot of people are like that. By the way, did Jesus heal everyone in the multitudes who had created their own problem? He healed. He healed the guilty, as well as the righteous. Yes. See, so it's real important for us to see that because sometimes when Christians, particularly Christians, feel guilty over these things, they have trouble receiving. Back a few years ago, I was ministering at the Toronto airport, and uh, we had had some healing happen up on the stage, which is, you know, we demonstrate that up on the stage, and it, things had gone pretty well in that service, and they have a good team up there, and so we, I had trained their team to do healing ministry over a period of time, and so they get things happening pretty good, so I don't have to pray for everyone. That's, that's really good. So I was standing up on the, the stage talking to the worship leader, Jeremy, up there, and... and uh, and uh, the service was pretty much over, but if you've been in that church, uh, they, uh, they do soaking prayer. And so lots of times people, after the service, it was a conference, so after the service, people uh, lay around on the floor and they minister to each other and so on. And so most of the people have gone out of the sanctuary, but there's probably 500 people still in the sanctuary. And uh, so um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much done, uh, but there was two women who beckoned me to come over to the edge of the stage, and I walk over to the edge of the stage, and they say, would you pray for this lady in the wheelchair down here? And I said, sure. Now, I'm not afraid of wheelchairs. Um, the reason I'm not afraid of wheelchairs is because I, at an emotional level, know I'm not doing it. I'm not just an intellectual level, but I know in my heart and mind I am not doing it. I don't heal people. Jesus heals them. So I, and I don't try to produce anything. See, some of when you see somebody praying around a wheelchair, have you ever seen them kind of bear down, trying to pray really hard around a wheelchair? You know, that reveals to you that they think that they're doing it. Because it shouldn't be any different than praying for a common cold. Just relaxed. I mean, the truth is, is that bearing down doesn't produce anything. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who produces it. We don't produce it by praying harder. Praying harder kind of reveals that we think that somehow or another we've got to convince God. It's unbelief that causes that behavior, okay? So in any case, uh, so I go down there and I lay hands on this lady. Now, we've had healing happening up on the stage, so, you know, uh, things have been working pretty well up to this point. I lay hands on this lady, and uh, she, uh, I, first of all, I interview her. Her name is Elaine. She's from, uh, uh, from Denver. She has MS, and it's full-blown MS. She, can, uh, she feels pain throughout her body. She can only turn her head one direction. She has one arm in a sling simply because it's just dead weight. She can move the other arm, and that's about it. And, uh, and so I lay hands on Elaine, and nothing's happening. Now, if I had been in the mode that I had been previously, then I would have interpreted nothing happening, meaning God doesn't want to do anything. Okay? But I can't interpret it that way anymore because I've seen what Christ does in the multitudes. He heals everyone. He would heal Elaine in the multitudes, yes? We would put Elaine in the time machine deal then she would receive healing. So the problem is probably not with me because I've already had healing working, okay? And I'm pretty settled on the fact that, that Jesus uses rascals, and I qualify. My wife would say amen to that. any case, so I'm not the problem. So where is the problem? Now, in saying this, I'm not doing this to, to condemn anybody. But if you can't figure out what the problem is, you can't fix it. You can't help them, okay? And so I don't, I'm not interested in condemning anybody. I'm not interested in, 
and blaming anybody. In fact, I'm long past the blame game. We just want to help people receive what Jesus has done, see. So I know the problem is with the lame. So I say to Lane, Lane, by any chance, are you connecting <coughs> excuse me? <clears throat> are you connecting your uh, MS with some event out of your past that makes you feel guilty? I don't have a word of knowledge for this. I just know the devil does not play fair with people. And what he does is he gives purpose to people's sin. In other words, sickness and sin, so he connects these things in people's minds. He is the accuser of the brethren. So he accuses us. He accuses God of, of being unwilling to help us. He accuses, you know, accuses us of being not worthy of receiving healing and so on. By the way, that's true to some degree, but we don't receive healing because we're worthy anyway. We receive healing because Christ is worthy. So in any case, uh, Elaine says yes. And I said, Elaine, I don't really need to know what that is, but I want you to understand that I believe that you were forgiven the first time you've confessed that. I bet you've confessed that 10,000 times, haven't you? She said yes. Hey, does God forgive us the first time we confess? But it doesn't always feel like he does, does it? In fact, if it's a serious enough sin, it may linger in our consciousness. It may linger in our, as guilt inside of us, you know. But the truth is that God has forgiven us, and he remembers our sins no more. The Old Covenant, of course, the constant remembrance of sins, constant sacrifices being offered. The New Testament, God remembers us, our sins no more. God can't do two things. He can't lie, and he can't remember your sins. However we do, we remember our sins. So, uh, so anyway, I say, Elaine, you know, let me just help you with this, Elaine. I want, you to, I want you to visualize something. I'm going to give you a parable of your forgiveness. So I say, close your eyes for a moment. Elaine, I want you to see yourself standing before the throne of God. Can you do that? Yes, I see myself standing before the throne of God. You're dressed in white linen. That white linen is the righteousness of Christ. It's coming to you as a gift. God has dressed you from head to toe in white linen. All your sins are forgiven. They're, they're covered by what Jesus has done. Can you see that? Yes, I can see that. Uh, Elaine, you're surrounded by 100,000 other people. They're dressed exactly like you are. They all have the righteousness of Christ. No one's more righteous than another. They're all 100% righteous. By the way, God does not grade on the curve in righteousness. Pass, fail. Zero and 100%. Zero and 100%. Your righteousness, like filthy rags. His righteousness, 100%. God accepts us fully because of what Jesus has done. Can't, it's no, there's no in-betweens. No in-betweens. Turn to somebody and say, no in-betweens. There are no in-betweens. So they said, many of us spend a lot of time cleaning up our filthy rags, and we, and we succeed at that, maybe change some habits and various different things. And what we got, we still can't present to God, is what we got clean rags. Still unpresentable, Okay. So the bottom line is that that's not the way we approach God. But in any case, uh, Elaine says, so I can see that. I said, okay, Elaine, now let's do the confession again. I do this little confession. This healing belongs to you because of what Jesus has done, what we were doing last night. Elaine does this. She looks up and she says, oh, my pain just left. I said, wonderful, Elaine. Would you like us to pray for the arm and the sling? She says, yes. So we pray for that for a couple minutes, and she confesses to feel heat in her arm. I, I said, would you like your friends to take it out of the sling? And they said, she said, yes. So uh, pretty soon, Elaine's doing this with his arm. She couldn't move it for her. Well, her two friends just go absolutely bonkers. I mean, they start dancing and shouting around the, the wheelchair. And, uh, and, and so all, now all the 500 folks that are laying on the carpet over there are now noticing something's happening with this lady in the wheelchair. And so we've got 500 people doing this. Because they've seen healing happen on the stage before, that, earlier that evening. So 
but see, people have, in American culture, and it is changing, we have really weak faith in this area. We're getting better at it, but we're, this is to be honest. We're not real strong in this area. In fact, third world countries, they do a lot better with this than we do. And uh, it's why it's so easy to get people healed in other places. But we're getting better at it. And let's just be honest, the American church is somewhat weak in this area. But, um, so, and when you get people praying for people, sometimes when people really don't understand about healing, what happens is their, their faith lasts as long as you're praying, and that's about it. In fact, if you don't have it happening, they don't believe beyond that. You know, I mean, that's, that's, there's a weakness there. And people sometimes have... Uh, really funny concepts about how healing has to be, you know, that it all has to be dramatic. You know, the truth is, is that a lot of healing happens is it's not dramatic at all. I mean, there's no drama associated with it except in the person's heart that they're no longer in pain or they're no longer struggling with whatever they have. There's, and the testimony, of course, can be somewhat dramatic when they present it, but it, you don't see anything dramatic happen when you actually minister healing to someone. So this lady's in a wheelchair, and if I don't pull her out of this wheelchair, most of those people will give up on me really quick. That's really the reality, okay? And the atmosphere is now different. because let me ask, How many people does it take to get somebody healed? Doesn't take 500. One or two. I mean, you can receive healing yourself, personally, just between you and God. But typically what we see in the church is one person ministering to another or even maybe a, a group of people like we're doing here today. They are really on board with it and so on. But the truth is, is that 500 may be problematic if they're not really on board. In fact, you, sometimes I get emails and people uh, argued with me about this whole business of healing by saying something like, we had a thousand people on an email list praying for that person they died. Obviously, God did not want to do it. It's like, and see, what they're presenting is this idea that they had a thousand people voting yes and God voted no. You know, and, you know, they didn't convince God. And see, the truth is, is that that is really very full of unbelief. That whole idea that we have to convince him and if we have to have a thousand people praying to get something done? No, 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 no. What makes you think that a thousand people can agree on anything? <laughs> Two or three may be much more effective in getting people healed than 500. So I have to get these people on board because the atmosphere is different. And now Elaine has a little bit of a uh, performance anxiety now because people are watching. So I say to Elaine, just close your eyes and pay no attention to these folks, you know. Let's just, let's just keep working like we have. So anyway, we continue to pray, and Elaine now confesses to feeling heat and electricity running down her back and into her hips and so on. I said, but Elaine, would you like to try standing? Now, she hasn't stood in many years. So she says yes. So she begins to rock back and forth. She's pretty weak. And I said, could you do this before Elaine? She said, no, I couldn't do this at all. So she's getting some strength in her, in her back and legs and everything. And her two friends push the pedals apart eventually and put her... Feet on the floor. She can't even feel her feet at this point. She feels pain. Uh, she felt pain before, but she couldn't feel anything. In any case, she rocks forward, and she ends up on her feet. They push the wheelchair back. I've got my arm around her, holding her up. I think people probably thought I was showing her some compassion, but I really I was keeping her from falling down. She's just that weak. Well, I, Elaine keeps confessing that she's feeling things, and I'm reporting to the people. I said, Elaine's telling us that she's feeling electricity in her, in her back and her legs and so on. So keep them on board with what we're doing here. And, uh, and Elaine, I eventually I say, Elaine, if you're really feeling that, why don't you try taking a step? So she takes a, a step forward, and 
and, uh, man, it takes this struggle, struggle, struggle. I mean, she's pushing that foot forward. She's not really lifting it. She's pushing it. It's probably five minutes before she gets that one foot in front of her. And then the other foot, probably another five minutes where she's just pulling it, pulling it back up. And, uh, and then she takes a couple reasonably normal steps, weekly, so on. I'm walking with her. Eventually, I just let go of her. She begins to walk unsteadily, but she walks, and five minutes later, she's running. Around the church. She was running around the church. They chased her with a wheelchair. <laughs> and uh, in fact, I got swamped by the 500 people. Uh, in fact, that went on for another six hours. The service was really over. With what happened, that inspired those folks to believe. And we, we had uh, cataracts healed. We had deafness healed. We had all sorts of things happening. Faith went up another notch in that group of people when they saw this particular healing happen. The reason I tell you this, to illustrate a couple things, is that Elaine was having real trouble coming to Jesus because of this sense of sin. Now, this is an issue with Christians, but it's not really an issue with unbelievers. In fact, you know, the witch had no issue with sin at all, you know, when she got healed. And we've seen, you know, pagans, they hear the good news and they just come to Jesus and, you know, and they receive healing. But Christians sometimes don't come because of the sense of sin. Can we just proclaim to you that God forgives can I just suggest to you that you need to have confidence that God will forgive you and that, and that there, the issue is not with God, it's going to be with you in that area? You do need to practice repentance. You do need to do what's right. You, need, you were talking about that in the break. <clears throat> Being a good steward of your body. You know, do the things that you know that are right. However, even if you are a great steward of your own health, you're still going to have healing needs. And those of us that are not great stewards can still come to Jesus and receive our healing, but what we have to do sometimes is overcome this sense of unclear conscience. You know, and I, I, I promise you that God is not withholding anything from you, but sometimes having a clear conscience makes it so much easier. Just get it right with God, you know, just repent. Back a few years ago, I was uh, <clears throat> in England, and I was living with a particular family during this process of ministry, and I was there on this particular occasion for a month, I believe. And their, their young uh, uh, son, uh, teenager, had a problem with uh, his hand. And uh, he had a deformed finger. And uh, we ministered to him. I mean, every time we had a meeting, uh, his parents wanted me to pray for this finger, you know. And so I prayed for him, and nothing's happened. Now, we're getting all kinds of other healing happening, including people lame and all sorts of things happening. But this kid's just not receiving anything. And... Uh, over a period of time, uh, you know, his parents kept coming to me and saying, what's the problem here, Roger? And I said, you're going to need to ask him. By the way, when you do ask people, sometimes they'll tell you what the problem is. You know, I usually ask it this way. I usually say, um, why do you think you're, you're not receiving healing? Because I would not ask, why do you think God's not healing you? Because I believe it's already done. They just need to receive. See? Why are you not receiving healing? And people will often tell you what their doubts are. Maybe God doesn't want me to be healed. Maybe he has a reason for not healing me. Maybe, 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 maybe. And if you sit there quietly in some situations, you may discover uh, a a deep-seated sense of guilt where people think that they're being punished. You have to sometimes just be quiet and let them speak to you about it. And you cannot assume anything of anyone that you know and assume that they don't have these issues. In fact, some very mature Christians will have some of these issues. I have, in my book, uh, 
beyond a shadow of a doubt, I talk about, I've created a composite char- character called Aunt Matilda. And I, I created Aunt Matilda before I was going to uh, Australia. Now I've run into lots of Matildas. But, but in any case, uh, uh, Aunt Matilda, composite character, <coughs> person, but, uh, but a person that fits a lot of the people that I've met over the years. Aunt Matilda, when I come into a church, Aunt Matilda is presented to me as a woman who is a godly woman, who prays for the sick, gets people healed, as a very spiritual person, perhaps prophetic, you know, and yet she has now got cancer or some, something is killing her, you know, something, some disease and so on, and often has been presented to me as God's simply just not willing to heal her because he would heal her because she's such a godly person. So her righteousness is being measured against God's righteousness, see? So there's a balance, they're trying to balance, and they're puzzled why Aunt Matilda's not receiving healing. They're assuming that Aunt Matilda is completely righteous in this matter. Self-righteousness, again, see, plaguing, except they were projecting it on someone else, see? And see, the truth is, is that no one knows the heart of someone else except God. That's why we can't judge. See, judgment can be both positive and negative as well. See, we can judge people negatively and assume something of them that's not true, that we cannot know in a negative way. You know, everybody knows that. That's called criticism, and, you know, we understand that. But the f- positive side of it is something that we often do and don't realize we're not supposed to do that either. It's still judgment. Judging someone in a positive way in that area, assuming that they have everything straight with God. You know, I've discovered this, that you shouldn't put people up on pedestals no matter who they are. Okay? There's a five-word thing I mentioned last night. None righteous, no, not one. Okay? So what happens is, is that when we get into these situations, you know, Aunt Matilda's been presented to me as a righteous person, so I sit down with Aunt Matilda and say, Aunt Matilda, tell me why you think that you're not receiving healing. It's a good technique to use in these circumstances. And Aunt Matilda initially, well, she'll always say, well, I don't know, you know, but if you sit there quietly and wait for Aunt Matilda to, you know, to think about it for a few minutes, the Holy Spirit will bubble something up, you know, and Aunt Matilda will begin to tell you her doubts, okay? Maybe God doesn't want me to be well. Well, Aunt Matilda, if you have been in the multitudes 2,000 years ago, wouldn't Jesus heal you? Well, yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. I said, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so I help Aunt Matilda deal with her doubts based on what Christ has revealed to his disciples, the revelation of the Father in Christ. Well, maybe God wants, uh, he's teaching me something. Well, Aunt Matilda, how long have you been sick? Well, I've been sick for six years with this problem. I said, Aunt Matilda, have you, tell me what you've learned in the six years. Aunt Matilda will draw a blank. I've had people tell me that they've been sick, learning a lesson for 20 years. And I'll ask them, what have you learned? It's an obvious question if they're learning something from God in the sickness. And they, will, they won't be able to come up with anything. Because God is not teaching them something. By the way, if God's teaching us something and it takes us 15 years to learn it, it's a pretty bad teaching method. <laughs> it's a bad teaching method. <laughs> Besides that, we don't send our kids to school because we think they'll learn more when they're sick, do we? No, we, we know intuitively that, that sickness is not, a, is not a good condition for learning. 
You know, people concentrate on their sickness instead of that. So I'll go through some of the doubts. We'll, we'll deal with these doubts a little bit later in the day, but I'll go through these doubts with Aunt Matilda, and then finally we'll get to usually the one that's really down underneath the surface where she feels guilty about something. And it'll come to the surface, and we'll have to minister forgiveness to this very mature Christian. Can't make any assumptions. Can't put people up on pedestals. You know, you can't assume that they've got everything straight. Their doctrine is straight. They understand. You cannot do that. And I highly recommend to you that you don't do that. Don't assume that of anybody. that they're in, Because then you can't minister to them if you make that assumption. And uh, uh, there have been many, um, I can tell you, a handful of circumstances I've had with very mature Christians that you would know their names. And each one of them had issues that had to be resolved before they received healing. Okay, I mean, the area of guilt, one of them particularly very guilty over something. And somebody on television who really struggled with this whole business of faith, you know, that you wouldn't suspect. But helping them come to a conclusion, they were able to receive something. Okay? All right, moving right along. I'm talking about the gospel here. When we teach or preach the gospel, we want to emphasize the fact that, that what Jesus has done is, is enough, is finished. The Greek word that's translated as uh, in this particular verse is, uh, can be translated as the word perfect. It's also in the perfect tense. So this particular phrase, it is finished, could be, uh, could be translated as perfectly perfect. And you could use the word finished or complete in there. So you could get all kinds of versions of that is perfectly perfect, completely perfect, perfectly complete, perfectly finished, finished perfectly, completely finished or finished completely. The bottom line is from God's perspective, what Jesus has done is enough. It's enough, and it needs to be enough for us so that when we come to God, we recognize that forgiveness has come on the basis of what Jesus has done. He has paid for our sins, paid in full, paid in full for you. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but the debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. That's a very important point because if you try to come to God as a Christian with this nagging sense of unforgiveness, sometimes it helps you have trouble getting there. So receive forgiveness, walk in forgiveness, continually walk in it, and you'll receive something. Back a, a few years ago, I was uh, ministering in, a, in Virginia. Three small churches had come together for a meeting, and we ended up with a couple hundred people showing up. And uh, we had some healing happen on the stage, and a man who was a minister of the gospel uh, responded to the gospel, and he had had a stroke. His right side had been wilted, and he had trouble walking. In fact, a wife and one of his friends helped him forward uh, after we started praying. And again, laid hands on this man, nothing much happening. Now, we had already had healing happening, so I'm not assuming there's anything particularly wrong with me. There can be. You know, I can, I can be out of, out of kilter and not focusing where I need to be, but uh, typically that's not true of me anymore. Um, the, uh, and, we've, and there's nothing wrong with God, so the problem is with this man. Now, when I said to him that little thing, why do you think that you're not receiving healing, he began to blurt out his sins. Now, people perceive their sins differently. Some people are fastidious about sin. You know what I mean by that? Every little thing just gets to them. I mean, you know, uh, they, if, they, if they walk away with uh, a pen from a, from a store or something, you know, they, they're right, using a pen to sign a contract and they end up without realizing, carrying it away, they feel like they've stolen something. 
you know, that's fastidiousness, you know, uh, paperclip, you know, out of place, all, all these different things. Some people, you know, really are concerned about things. So you don't really know, you know, that this guy may, this guy may be the Apostle Paul, you know, but he's very concerned about his sins. And uh, he, he confessed to neglecting his ministry and having unclean thoughts and some different things, you know. So in any case, uh, I said, well, sir, forgiveness is real. And he kind of looked at me blankly. You know, and I said, why don't we just confess that before the Lord? And, you know, First John says what? It says, if we confess our sins, he's just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can I interpret that for you? That verse means, if we confess the things that we're aware of, God forgives us for all the things that we're unaware of. Complete righteousness. We are aware that there's you know, imperfections and so on, but we have complete righteousness before God by confessing the things that we're aware of. Yeah, that's what it says. So in any case, uh, so we do this, and uh, I did the technique of having this man see himself dressed in white linen again to help him to visualize his forgiveness. Uh, Jesus taught spiritual truth in parables to help people see, see what it was. And just in a matter of seconds, the guys, uh, the effects of the stroke had disappeared. He began to speak clearly. He was able to move his right arm and his right leg and so on and walked off the stage without any difficulties at all. By the way, what's a stroke? It's a place in the brain that's been damaged a little bit because of a blood clot usually. You know, something has happened here where their blood flow is stopped. It's just a real small spot in the brain usually. So why not? Why can't we see dramatic healings of people who have strokes? Yeah, they do produce pretty dramatic things because the person just changes immediately when that happens. Yeah. So sometimes people just need to be able to know that that's true, that, that, that what Jesus has done is complete. Page 5. The message is demonstrated by the Spirit and power. Here in this passage, I'm not going to read the whole passage to you, but Paul indicates to him that in this particular situation with the Corinthian church, he chose to keep his message about the cross the simplicity of that. And he said as a result of that, the Holy Spirit came and validated the message by power. Now, this is partly for some of the preachers in the room, but you tend to get what you preach. In other words, if you preach healing, you're going to get healing. If you preach um, healing of brokenheartedness, you know, that's what you're going to get, emotional healing. People will respond in faith to pretty much what you preach. It's a very important thing. So if you preach that people are going to have to go through counseling for six months or six years, uh, you indicate that in your preaching, that's what people will do. They'll respond to that. Uh, there's a lady in our area who, uh, she, uh, she's, uh, she's a counselor, uh, has a counseling ministry, and she's a nice lady. I like her. And she's a spirit-filled believer. And she, one day I was having a conversation with her, and she said that most of the spirit-filled Christians in her ministry would be in counseling with her for 15 years. And I said, how is that any different than secular counseling as far as dynamic? She was a little surprised at me saying that. I said, we see people healed of schizophrenia, of you know, chronic depression by a one-time prayer because that's what we believe. And that's what we preach, and people respond to that. So you tend to get what you preach in that sense. So here Paul's saying he preached the gospel of Christ, and as a result of that, the Holy Spirit came and validated it with signs and wonders, healing and so on, those kinds of things. Back a few years ago, uh, I was an Army chaplain, and, and uh, I was reasonably successful at that uh, by accident, I guess, in some level. 
uh, I uh, would fill up the chapels, and some of the other chapels, chaplains would come to me and say, you know, what are you doing that we're not doing? And truthfully, I didn't have an answer for them because I didn't know. They said, they, they'd say, are you running this program? I said, yeah. I said, well, we're doing that too. Why have people coming in your chapel and they're not coming in ours? I, I don't know. Because some of these guys were really better preachers than I was. I mean, as far as eloquent and so on. I, and I was a little puzzled by it, for, but I finally figured out what it was, is that I looked out in my congregation and I assumed that many of them did not know Jesus as their Savior. I made that assumption, even though they were coming to chapel, that their religious backgrounds, because I had grown up in a church that did not lead me to Jesus, that I assumed that that was true of other people as well, that they're, they were good folks, they were trying to do the right things with their families and so on, but they didn't know Jesus as their Savior. They had not been born again. And so every message I would bring had the fundamental message of the gospel. If I was teaching a series on prayer, then it was Jesus that answers prayer, and God answers because of the cross. If I was teaching a series on uh, marriage, then Jesus was the savior of marriages. He was the sanctifier of marriage. He anointed a husband to be a good husband. He anointed the wife to be a good wife, that without him that we would not have a Christian marriage. I made him the savior of marriages. The gospel was in every message I preached. And as a result of that, I believe the Holy Spirit drew people to my chapel so that they could hear about Christ. And see, ultimately, you're going you're gonna to hear one message or another, okay? You could preach, um, well, I'll give you another little story quickly. Um, I got a call from some elders from this, uh, up in Oklahoma. I administered in their church three or four years before this, and they said, Roger, would you consider coming up, driving up to our church and sitting through some of our services and tell us what you think that we're doing wrong? And I said, well, why do you think you're doing something wrong? He said, well, there's no excitement in our church. We're not growing. Nobody's getting saved. There's not being, being anybody baptized in the Spirit. You know, nobody's being healed. We're not having a rebellion, but we're just, you know, there's just a real heaviness on us as a group. I said, I said well, I don't want to do that. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, I don't want to sit through a dead service. Um, <clears throat> I'm, that's true. <laughs> If Jesus isn't there, I don't want to be there either. <laughs> I have, there's been several occasions when I, my wife and I have gone locally to a church, and after 15 or 20 minutes, I looked at my watch and I said, you know, uh, would you like to go to the mall or something? <laughs> Let's go walk in the mall. Because <laughs> was, it was so bad that I just didn't, I didn't want to sit through it. I don't go to church out of duty. I go to church because I want to meet Jesus. I want to be with the, the saints that are meeting Jesus, okay? But in any case... Uh, in any case, so anyway, so I said, but what I will do, guys, so I said, why don't you bring me down, why don't you bring down about five hours of your most recent taped messages, and I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you at the border, uh, Texas-Oklahoma border, and we'll sit in a restaurant there, and, uh, and we'll talk about what you're doing in ministry, and we'll do some analysis. You guys listen to the tapes on the way down, and, uh, I'll, and we'll, we'll talk through it. So anyway, I, they met me there, and, and uh, they tried to hand me the tapes. I said, no, 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 I didn't want the tapes. I wanted you guys to listen to them. I... Uh, um, tell me how deliberate are you in building on the message of Christ? And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how intentional are you in building on the foundation of Christ in your messages? He said, well, we're not sure what you mean. I said, well, if you're not sure what I mean, you're probably not being very deliberate. I said, uh, tell me what you've been preaching. Said, well, I've been doing a series on marriage. I said, well, the bottom line, did you tell people that Jesus will give them grace in their marriage? if they come to Jesus for their marriage? 
you know, that he's the sanctifier of marriages, he's the empower of marriages, or did you tell them, work harder at being married? Be more kind, be more compassionate. Because one message will re- release grace to change and help them. The other message will cause frustration. They'll, they'll try working harder. They'll do what you tell them because that's what God's people do. They follow the shepherd, okay? They, they'll do what you tell them to do, and one will produce frustration. The other will produce fruit. Well, we're not sure. I said, well, I said, uh, I said what you, ought to, you guys ought to do is listen to these tapes again and figure out what, what the bottom line of your message is. What are you telling your people to do? Anyway, they drove back and pastor called me later in the week, and he said, uh, he said we did listen to him, Roger. In fact, we, we sat down and listened to the, a whole bunch of the whole staff did, and we listened to them, and we, we actually took notes of what we were doing. And he said, in five hours, more than five hours of teaching, we, said, we had three passing references to Jesus. And he said, and he said we see what we're doing. And he, Now, I'll give you a report on that church. That church is really very dynamic now because every message is about Jesus. I mean, they... They're talking about other things, but it's centered in the message of Christ. Because that's where the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He doesn't come to speak about himself. He comes to speak about Jesus. So he anoints that. And we're to abide in Christ. You know, that's where the fruit's going to be. And when churches stick to that, what happens is the church acts like the church because she falls in love with Jesus. The church cannot act like the church unless she's in love with Jesus. See, that's the bottom line. Moving right along here. When we preach about Jesus, we need to keep it, the message about the good will of God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, uh, chapter, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 11, here Jesus gives us a really good, very powerful verse to deter, help people determine the will of God again. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Everyone say, much more. When you see much more, and it's quite often in the New Testament, that phrase much more is in the New Testament, and it's in the book of Romans, it's all through the Gospels. You know, what you'll find is that it's inviting you to compare one thing with another. It is a comparison. Here in this particular phrase, much more, here Jesus is inviting us to compare what an earthly father will do for his children with what God the Father will do for us. That's the invitation here saying to us that what an earthly father will do, that God will do much more. So here, here, and of course we're talking about in terms of parents, okay? If you wouldn't give your children cancer, then God's not going to give you cancer either. By the way, the idea that God would give us cancer, if we as parents made our children sick for any reason, what would, what would this state call you? Child abuser, rightly so. And yet we project that idea on God that he's doing those sorts of things. And if I would do all in my power to help my children, then God is willing to do all in his power to help his children as well. I don't know about you, but I spent some sleepless nights when my children were sick. You know, we didn't really have healing working for a long time. You know, um, but I, you know, I stayed up and I did everything in my power. One of my children, uh, before I had healing working, began to go blind. And believe me, I would have given my own eyes to, to prevent that from happening. By the way, my kid, my son has got his complete vision back. Jesus has done that for him. But there was a season when we were concerned that he was going to go completely blind. Uh, he had some uh, unusual things happening in his eyes. 
And uh, I would have done anything in my power to do that. You know, and here the scripture says that God is willing to do much more in that area. That's a very important verse. Now, let me give you a little uh, way to use this in helping to analyze certain circumstances. When we, uh, when we do healing ministry, if women are losing their hair, they always ask for prayer. They do. They just don't think it's right. They, want, they don't expect to lose their hair. And so when they're going to lose their hair, they're in the process of losing their hair for any reason. I think cancer being, you know, cancer treatments, I think that, that people do accept the fact that they're probably going to lose their hair. By the way, my mother uh, went through cancer treatments, and I prayed for her, and she didn't lose her hair at all, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's another story altogether. But, but in any case, uh, um, but if men, you know, if men are losing their hair, they seldom ask for prayer. Now, here's a way to analyze this idea. Okay, is it all right for a man to ask for prayer about his hair? Now, here's the deal. If you had a son, and it was in your power to prevent him from losing his hair, and he didn't want to lose his hair, would you help him with that? Then what will God do? Much more. What was that? Hallelujah. <laughs> Why do men don't ask for it? They consider it inevitable. They consider it just a process of aging. That's why they don't ask. And see, here the scripture is telling us that we can see this differently, much more. You ever get this? If you're willing to do it, then God would be willing to do it for you. So this has to do with sometimes with cosmetic things. For instance, if you would help your child with a birth defect or something that made them you know, not as attractive and so on, then God is willing to do it as well. See, so what this does is opens this up, this whole realm, asking God for more. And, you know, and somebody asked me if, uh, if I asked God for, about my hair. I said, yes, and I quit losing. I have not lost any hair since I quit. Am I vain? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I just don't take myself very seriously. I am vain, though. <laughs> Luke chapter 14, verse 5. And he said to him, Which one of you shall have a son or ox fall into a well and want to immediately put him out on the Sabbath day? Here, Jesus, another statement about healing, gives us a perspective from God's perspective of what healing is like. Um, <clears throat> this particular verse is in the context of Jesus healing the man with dropsy. In Greek, the word dropsy is uh, it's the Greek word hydro in a different kind of form. We're not sure exactly what dropsy it was. Potentially, because it has the word hydro in it, it might have been edema, water. Hydro is water. And uh, so maybe an edema. Edema is when a tish, the tissues, uh, typically it's in somebody's legs, uh, where the tissues blow up with water. It can be life-threatening. It's very dangerous when that happens. Sometimes somebody's leg can be three or four times bigger than normal. You know, and potentially the man with dropsy had edema, although we're not sure exactly. In any case, um, Jesus said to the Pharisees when they were criticizing him, he made this statement to them about healing this man. Which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now, the Sabbath day is not the issue with us, but here Jesus is describing the healing of this man as being a rescue of a child or even a farm animal from a well. From God's perspective, healing is a rescue. You remember the, um, the girl, Jessica, 
who fell into a well in Texas back a number of years. I was actually living in Virginia at the time when it happened. I'm originally from Texas, and I'm living in Texas now, but I was living in Virginia at the time. And it really surprised me at the, the way that our country responded to that. Do you know that people all over North America got on airplanes without anyone asking, people who were experts in dealing with these kinds of situations? Nobody asked, and they flew to Texas on their own at their own expense to help with this girl. There were people all over the place. It was just kind of interesting to see the community I was in just kind of stopped dead and were watching with with great concern about this girl. If we respond that way, and the scripture tells us that God the Father responds that way, wants to rescue us. Turn to somebody and say, rescue you. See, see the, hear Jesus teaching. See, some, of, some in theology, and we're going to really spend some time this afternoon talking about this, but some in theology have presented sickness as some sort of good thing that's happening to people. Whereas the New Testament doesn't present it that way. What we see is, from this perspective, it's a rescue. It's we're in a situation where we cannot extract ourselves. You know what would a well be like? It's a dark place. It's wet. If you try to climb out of it, you're probably potentially going to slip back in. The potentially falling into the well injured you to begin with. Trying to get out of the well will exhaust you. You may never succeed at it. And see, that's what it's like to be sick for so many people. They're in a dark place. They have done everything in their power to get well and still are not well. Even the process of trying to get well in some cases makes people more sick. Cancer treatments and so on, you know, the the doctors do the best they can for us, but some of these treatments are pretty bad in themselves. So here this description is that sickness is not a good thing, but God is willing to rescue us from it. We see Jesus healing everyone who comes to him, never turning anyone away, never suggesting that their sickness is doing them some good. Does this sound like good news to you? Yes. He never suggested in any kind of way that they should remain sick. Can you imagine Jesus doing triage? Okay. All of you folks here who are really ready to be healed and God's not dealing with you, over here. But those of you who are learning a lesson, sorry, can't heal you until you come back and tell us what that lesson was. Didn't do any of that. Aren't you glad that it's not there in the scripture? Me too. Absolutely glad. Faith in Christ comes by hearing the good news about Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. It says, How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed my report. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Sometimes this verse has been taken out of its context. But this verse here uh, is telling us how faith comes to people and telling us that when someone comes preaching the good tidings, of glad, good tidings of glad things, the good news about what Jesus has done, then what happens is we have an opportunity to believe that to be true. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When I present to you the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a reason, by the way, those four books are called the Gospels. Because when you see the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's good news. And when you see him clearly, then faith is an ordinary, automatic response of the human heart. How can you not believe in him when you see the goodness he's displaying there? The fact that he's 
Even with the wicked people that are in the multitudes, he's still willing to help them. See, I don't know about you, but I feel like I qualify for help from God because of what's seeing Jesus in, in the multitudes. So faith comes as a result of hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So this particular phenomena occurs. The faithful word about Christ comes to us via a preacher. We believe it and we receive what the gospel says Christ has done for us and then it begins to experience, we begin to experience that. It's that simple. We hear it, we believe it to be so, we receive it. And that, the Holy Spirit makes it real in our experience. That's a very important thing. Jesus said, Jesus said to us, we, that we are to pray and ask, believing that we have received and it shall be granted to us. That Greek word for granted there is the, is a, is the verb form of the word grace. It shall be graced to us. It shall be gifted to us. We believe that it's ours and then we have it. God, God the Holy Spirit makes it real in our experience. Pretty simple, isn't it? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? The gospel, not prayer. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believes. See, we have tried in some senses not to get it done without the good news ringing at the center of things. But if we keep the good news at the center of things, then things really do work. You know, if we keep what Christ has done, reminding, reminding believers and unbelievers what Jesus has done, then what happens is the power of the Holy Spirit continues to flow, grace continues to come to us, all because of what Jesus has done. So everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as Savior, Healer, Deliverer, and Lord. We believe in Christ as those things to us and receive salvation, healing, deliverance, and Lordship. That's that simple. So the responsibility at one level is with the preacher. He needs to preach the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we do that, then we give people an opportunity to receive what Jesus is doing in the multitudes, that he is actually the same Jesus. See, there is a, a Jesus that won't heal you. There's a Jesus that is very unlike the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And see, churches that teach that, teach that Jesus maybe doesn't want you well or that he doesn't, just doesn't heal today, they're doing what Paul warned about. Paul warned that there would be some that would preach another Jesus. And it's happened. We have many churches that preach another Jesus, Jesus that doesn't really want you well. And aren't you glad that you know which one is the real one? <laughs> All right. We've got a few more minutes, so let's move into section nine here, or excuse me, section four here. This is on page, uh, yeah, I was really jumping ahead, weren't I? On page, end of page five, I believe. Now, childlike faith in Christ is the product of the real gospel. That's what we're after. We're after this simplicity of faith. What happens in churches in, in America is that people have a complex response to God. And what we need is a simple response to God. That, first of all, that God really does want us well, that he really loves us, he really does forgive us. You know, we have this simple response where we come. I have a grandson, and unfortunately my son went through a, um, he, was, uh, he wasn't at fault, but he went through a divorce, and he ended up living with us because his former wife, a series of events, but she was not very responsible, ran up their credit cards and did all sorts of things, and as a result, he moved in with us because he needed help. He ended up with sole custody of our grandchild. 
And uh, so he needed, needed us to help with uh, raising this child and also getting his finances back together. So in any case, he moved in for a while, and I really loved it because I got to spend a lot of time with my grandson. His name was Benjamin, and I would come in from a meeting, you know, usually on Sunday night, uh, sometimes on Monday mornings, and I'd come in, and Benjamin would be waiting for me. And Benjamin would lean over, and he would say, Granddaddy, did you bring me a surprise? <laughs> and I'd say, yes, Benjamin, I have a surprise for you. And my, well, my, I started buying things in the airport, and that's why he got into the habit, you know, of asking me that. And I realized that this is kind of expensive doing it this way. So, so my wife uh, went to Toys R Us and bought a lot of little small gifts, and had it, we had them hidden in my closet. And so I would say, Benjamin, just give me a few minutes here. I'll unpack my bags, and I'll get you your, your, your surprise. And, uh, and the simplicity of that, see, the simplicity of expectation. He wasn't trying to earn it. He, he didn't have funny doctrines that, you know, or anything like that. Just, it was just, a real, just the fact that he knew granddaddy wanted him to have this. And see, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that simplicity of response. And people, when they hear the good news in American culture, often have a more complex response. They'll say, yes, that's true, but, 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 but. You know, they're not having that simple response that we get from the Indian culture or the Chinese culture or so on because they've been taught all these buts. And so what we're looking for is helping people to have that simple response. And particularly this afternoon, I'm going to help you cross out all that complexity. We're going to talk about what creates that complexity and what ideas are not present in the ministry of Christ that are very present in the church today. We'll get through uh, a lot of that. But let's look at some of the simplicity to people responding to Jesus in this. The woman with the issue of blood, Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. Now, what is Jesus talking about when he says faith, your faith has made you well? It's pretty simple. This woman made a decision. She was going to receive healing and came to Jesus for help. That is what defines faith in the New Testament. The coming to Jesus for, for help. When someone doesn't come, they're not expressing faith. That's a very important aspect of things. Somebody asked me actually uh, this morning before we started, they were asking for clarity about what I was saying about the witch last night. Okay? A witch came and I said that she was a believer. Okay? Now, in what way was she a believer? She believed what I said through the gospel and she came to Jesus. Like the multitudes, like this woman here. And see, the fact is she was a witch is not the issue. The fact is she had a faith response in her heart that came, where she came for help to Jesus. She believed what I had to say in the gospel. What did the woman do that Jesus describes as faith? She came to Jesus with simple expectation. Two blind men, Matthew 9, 29, and he touched their eyes saying, Be it done to you according to your faith. What did these men do that Jesus is describing as faith? Well, they overcame the difficulties associated with being a blind person. They followed Jesus into the house. They were crying out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. He apparently didn't stop. He went into the house. They followed him to the house. Jesus interacts with him in that situation. Um, even asked some specific questions. Do you believe that I can do this? They said, yes, Lord. And he said, let it be done to you according to your faith. And they were able to receive their faith. Now, what, what faith were they exercising? They were persistent and overcame the difficulties associated with being a blind person trying to get anywhere and came to Jesus. They didn't give up. Turn to somebody and say, don't give up. Most people in the church in America, their faith lasts as long as you're praying, and that's about it. The moment you 
stop praying and they don't have anything to, to speak of this change, they are not believing anymore. See? We've got to do better than that. We've got to hang in there. Remember what Jesus taught about the fig tree? What happened? One of those passages says that when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it withered from the roots up. What does that mean? That the moment he said it, it started, it was dying. But it wasn't evident to their eyes. They couldn't see it. What makes you think God's not healing you even if you don't feel it initially? See? But if you immediately turn off your faith, you know you're not going to receive much of anything. Got to hang in there. Like these people described in here. They hung in there, at least persistent enough to get to Jesus, see? Um, the Canaanite woman, on page, this is page 6, the Canaanite woman's daughter, Matthew 15, 28. Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done to you as you wish. And the daughter was healed at once. Now, in this situation, Jesus and the disciples were actually taking a little break in ministry. They were on vacation, taking a little holiday. They had gone outside the borders of Israel, which they were not called to. They met a woman who was in that region. She's not Jewish. You remember, Jesus was called, and the disciples were called to the Jewish people. And uh, this woman asked for Jesus to heal her daughter. Jesus said no to her three times in this passage. Uh, not, and the explanation is, is that not called to your people. See, the gospel's gone to the whole world now. But in that day, it was for the Jewish people. Well, this woman persists and argues with Jesus using his own arguments. In fact, Jesus says something that sounds rather insulting to her. He says, uh, it's not good to give the children's bread to dogs. And she says, all I need is a little bit of the crumbs off the table for my daughter. Now, that's an interesting comment. She's saying, what you have is so great and so powerful, all I need is just a little bit. My daughter will be well. That's faith. And Jesus said to her, there it is right there. He said, be it done to you as you wish. Oh, woman, your faith is great. There's only two people in the scripture that Jesus says their faith was great. And this is one of them. What did this woman do that Jesus is describing as great faith? She didn't give up. She persisted. And she argued with Jesus. And the, the, Now, this is the only person in the scripture Jesus said no to in the area of healing. And she still got what she was looking for. Does that sound good to you? Yes. It, so, you know, we need to em emulate these things because these things are in the scripture for a reason. These, these stories were picked out of thousands of things that they could have picked out. We need to emulate the faith of these people. Do what they did, and we'll have their result, see. Very important. Four men's faith, Mark chapter 2, verse 5, and seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. And of course, and then the man was healed in that circumstance. Remember the story here? Sometimes people ask me, uh, can we believe for other people? Well, obviously we can. The centurion servant is a good example of that. And here this story is a good example of it too. These four men... Tried to get their friend who was sick into the, uh, apparently he was on a cot or something, as they were carrying him, and uh, couldn't get him into the house because the house was packed out with people. Sounds like a house church. Sounds like a revival happening in a house church, yeah? Um, in any case, they couldn't get him into the house, so what did they do? They had to take him to the roof, open up the roof, lower him down. Now, you have to think about this for a moment. This was not easy. They had to come up with ropes. They required planning on their part. It, it, it probably was some physical labor involved in the whole process of doing this. And see, they would not have done this except they believed getting their friend to Jesus would do the job for them. Back a, a few years ago, I was uh, ministering in 
in uh, Australia, and uh, one couple went out to pick up one of their friends who had cancer, and uh, they drove three hours to pick this man up and three hours back. That's faith. They obviously expected something to happen for him. And I didn't know him uh, from Adam, but he was a fairly well-known man in the community. And uh, he was uh, a Chinese gentleman, um, practicing Buddhist. He heard me preach the gospel that night, uh, and I said, Jesus will heal rascals. And in, in, uh, in Australia, they don't use the word rascal, but the equivalent word is the word larrikin. Jesus will heal larrikins. And he said, well, if Jesus heals larrikins, then I qualify. He had a humble response, but a faith response, Okay. He came forward for prayer. He had cancer behind his eyes. Uh, it was in his sinuses and getting into his brain. Uh, he had, they were only giving him a matter of weeks. In fact, they were telling him they probably just needed to go to hospice. And he had a, he had a bloody discharge down his throat. I didn't know any of this till later on. Bloody discharge down his throat. And uh, he had a tremendous amount of pain. He had to take pain medication every day. Couldn't sleep without doubling up on the pain medication. And choked because of this bloody discharge going down his throat pretty miserable existence. Anyway, I, I, they introduced me to him, and uh, you know, I can tell by body language when people think that somebody's important. <laughs> it's all the same to Jesus. But in any case, uh, Jesus loves them all, no matter how important they are to other people. But in any case, I laid hands on this guy, and I felt a little heat happening, and, and uh, asked him if he felt it, and he said he did. He felt heat on his, his forehead, and I said, well, I, I think you received something from the Lord. And uh, anyway, on the way back, they'd taken him back to the house. He, his bloody discharge stopped. And that he, uh, and this was, by the way, his bloody discharge continued for a while, okay, even though I, we both felt something. But his bloody discharge charge stopped on the way back home, and he, all his pain had disappeared by the time he got home. So he decided not to take his pain medication. He slept through the night without choking. And so the next morning he felt really good, so he decided he'd go to the doctor and find out what was happening. And so the next day or two he got to the doctor and didn't have cancer anymore. Um, now, uh, uh, he, called the, he called the ministry headquarters. He was a practicing Buddhist. He called the ministry headquarters and, uh, and talked to the, actually the wife of the leader there and said, ask him, what was it that man, he, she, he told her, first of all, told her the story that, she, that he had been healed. And he said, what was that man, he didn't know my name, that was just very cool. Um, what was it that man had me say when he prayed for me? And he said, well, she, he had you say, this healing belongs to you because of what Jesus has done. And he said, well, what is it that Jesus has done? <laughs> so she explained to him in more detail the cross, you know, and led him to Jesus over the telephone. Now, he was the reigning martial arts master in Australia. That's why they were reacting to him being important. He, had, he, had, he was very wealthy. He was a, a man of good reputation. He'd done a lot of things for the youth in Australia. And he had dojos, uh, karate studios, all over Australia. And, all, and he was greatly loved because he was the master. He was the karate martial arts master for thousands of young people. And uh, now... They, they say hundreds of them have become Christians because knowing that their master got healed by Jesus, the real master. It's a cool story, isn't it? But uh, I believe it was those two Christians that believed for him and got into that meeting. They were acting in faith, and that's what 
enabled him to respond in a positive way to this thing. So here are these four men's faith. They got this, this man to Jesus. What action on the part of these men is Jesus describing his faith? They revealed their faith by overcoming the difficulties of bringing their friend to Jesus. Bartimaeus was healed. He's probably the blind man in Jericho. So these two stories may be, may be the, uh, two parallel stories from different gospels. Mark chapter 10, verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight. And, and then in Luke's gospel, Jesus said to him, receive your sight for your faith has made you well. What part on the, what did this man do? What did Bartimaeus do that Jesus is describing his faith? You know the story. Jesus is passing through Jericho. Uh, the crowd is making a great deal of noise, apparently, around him. He's had lots of people traveling with him, apparently. And uh, Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus. He may have heard the story of the two blind men, which happened two years earlier. And he cries out, like the two blind men, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus doesn't hear him. The crowd begins to discourage Bartimaeus, saying he's not paying any attention to you. He's not hearing you, so be quiet. He cries out all the more. He doesn't let the crowd discourage him. He cries out all the more. And Jesus does hear him. And Jesus says, stops, calls him over there. There's an interesting little detail. You study these things and pick up the details. That it says he threw away his cloak. Now, for a blind beggar, a cloak is his house. He wouldn't have thrown it away except that he believed he'd be able to find it later. It's a little detail. He threw away his cloak and went to Jesus. And, uh, and received his healing. He overcame the difficulties of discouragement of the crowd. See, These are stories that are in the New Testament for a reason. Yeah. We need to you know, emulate these people and do what they do to get to Jesus. You know, some of us have some things we have to overcome. You know, and, but if you do it, if you'll just be persistent, you'll get what you're looking for. We get people sometimes healed on Friday night. Sometimes we pray for them again on Saturday. You notice there's a couple people up here. I said, can I get an opportunity to pray for you again tomorrow? You know, sometimes we get them healed on Sunday morning. Now, did God change between Friday and Sunday? What did change? They did. We did. The atmosphere changed. Something got fixed that was broken. Something that God adjusted us by his spirit. He dealt with a doubt or something that was preventing us from coming in a simple way. All these things, the adjustments come. We get the right chemistry. And see, the thing is, is that persistence allows us to do that when nothing else does. We hang in there with God, allow the Holy Spirit to adjust us, to teach us, to make these things real. Then what happens is we'll learn the way to get there. My wife, I told you the story yes, last night. It took her a year to get her full healing. She was much better after just a few months of proceeding, but she, she still had asthma until a full year was complete. And that year did something for her. Uh, that's where she doesn't have any trouble at all receiving from God. And now when she needs healing, she gets healed in a matter of seconds. It's that easy. You know, we see that. And, and so sometimes when people go through, you know, this process of kind of learning that they can receive healing, you know, after that, after this first time they have to kind of pers pursue it, be persistent about it, after that it's, it's real easy.